The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal. From the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. Welcome to Engaging Truth, where we engage the issues of the day with the truth, the power, and the wisdom of God's Word. Uh, I'm Dr. Gregory Seltz, the Executive Director of the Lutheran Center for Religious Liberty in Washington, D.C., and I'll be your guest host today on the program, and I have a very special guest for our first program today, uh, Sherry Houston, and she's the Regional Alliance Director for ADF's Church Alliance Initiative, and, and I'm going to say it this way, Sherry, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I, you're responsible for connecting churches to the resources that ADF can provide for their ministry and also to connect uh, churches to one another. Is that right? That's correct. Well, welcome to the program. Great to be here. Thanks, Greg. Well, now listen, you and I are both, we, we work, I work in Washington, D.C., and you obviously with the churches are focused on some of these issues too. Religious liberty is a big deal in America today. Uh, it is an issue, it's an issue that's near and dear to my heart and I know to your work. But here's the question that, that a lot of people say to me, and I'm sure say to you, why is there such a need for religious liberty protections right now? Well, that's such a good question question and so important for uh, the church to think about. We all know that the culture's changed. Right. And so when the culture changes, laws change. And then when laws change, it can really make it hard to do what pastors have been called to do, right? And that's to mm -hmm. preach the gospel. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, really what's at stake is the lost. We know that the church is going to go on no matter what. Scripture tells us that. Right. But having religious liberty in this country allows us the freedom so that we can continue to keep that door open for the gospel and put forth the saving message of Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know, I, I say to the people all the time, I mean, the Apostle Paul in Acts 17, he used his Roman citizenship for the sake of the gospel. But here's the good news. In America, you have way more protections than he had. First Amendment protections in America allow the church to be free to proclaim the whole counsel of God so that everybody can hear. But like you just said, though, things are changing culturally. And I think ADF, that's one of the reasons why it started, because it started to see this whittling away of First Amendment protections, and, and the church was being challenged in the public square. And so their job is to actually keep that protection alive. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. It's, it's critically important that we're able to protect churches so that we can create an environment where spiritual boldness can thrive. Right. Well, I would say it this way, too. I mean, folks, you want the culture in which you live to hear the whole counsel of God because it is the transformative word right. that all of us need. And there are some forces in our culture that are saying we'd like to put the church in the basement uh, and we're not going to let that happen. All right. Well, there are some threats. Uh, you and I both know these threats very, very well, but a lot of our people don't. What are some of the uh, threats to religious liberty that we are presently facing in our culture? I probably think the greatest threat right now is what we call SOGI, which stands for sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm -hmm. And these laws 
they're trying to completely remove any distinction between male and female. So ultimately, it's about stealing identity and destiny from the next generation. And if I can, I'd like to just share an example about a case that just really represents what's going on in our country that maybe people aren't aware of. Okay, go right ahead. Yeah, keep going. So this just happens to do with with public schools. So in Madison, Wisconsin, there was a K through 12 school district, public school district, and they literally had it written in their policies that they wanted to disrupt the gender binary. And um, I won't go into a lot of detail, but they had an assembly with kindergartners through fifth grade. They had a transgender teacher on this video that was asking questions like, are you a boy? Are you a girl? Some days I'm both. Some days I'm neither. And then after that assembly, any child, now again, this is kindergartners through fifth grade that was confused about their gender. They could meet with their teacher and then together they would put a gender support plan in place. And then they decided whether or not they were going to inform the parents. Yeah. I just got, I just had a program on my Liberty alert where we're dealing with this kind of thing where again, parents aren't even being notified, let alone asking for consent. And these are kindergartners in first grade and second grade. And and so we're saying enough, you you don't have that authority in the lives of our children. And let me just uh, piggyback on that for those of you who are listening um, this issue is huge because we had a, a, a Lutheran bishop in Finland. His name was Bishop Johanna Poihala and uh, Minister President Paivi Rasinen, who were literally on trial. The state, they were on trial by the state. And what was their crime? Their crime was that they taught marriages between a man and a woman. They taught them that God created people, men and women, which is the first article of our creeds and, and of our scripture. And uh, the other one was that sex was to be defined, uh, sexual practice defined within marriage. That made them, uh, from the state's point of view, criminals. Now, thank goodness they won that case. But folks, that's what I call sex. I call that secular blasphemy laws. And and that kind of nonsense is coming. And the sexual orientation stuff, you're right, is the um, fabric in which that those secular blasphemy laws will hit the church. Well, you also have some free speech issues. I mean, you know, the Houston Five pastors who were uh, they were, I think it was the mayor that wanted to hear what wanted to read their sermons or something like that. <laughs> you know, I know that was a couple of years ago, but I, think I know it, it just really highlights. Yes, uh, the mayor in Houston had put forth with the city council uh, SOGI law. Uh, so sexual orientation and gender identity were now protected classes. And so one of the city officials actually went into a church during a Wednesday night Bible study with a subpoena requiring for all of the sermons and any communications with uh, the congregation to take those communications. And then they were going to review them to see if there was anything that went against uh, this new law. And why I think this is so significant is because uh, this pastor, Pastor Castano, one of the things that was amazing is he was actually part of the pastor's council in the city of Houston. And they realized that if they could get 17,000 signatures, then the council would have to either repeal or put it for a citizen's vote. Right. They got those signatures, they put it, and it had to go to a citizen's vote, and 60% of the citizens voted against this new law, and so it had to be repealed. And I wanted to mention that because it just shows the influence that pastors can have when they come together in unity. 
Well, and, and again, folks, uh, just to keep this, we're not the ones politicizing these issues. I mean, this is the issue that I run into all the time. They say, well, why are you engaging this? It's because it's, it's right at our front door. If they're actually coming into your Bible study to see what you preach and teach in your church, we've got a problem, Houston. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> no, and I, so, but again, I want people to understand the First Amendment is to protect the church yeah. from the state. And somehow it's been turned around that it's protecting the state from the church. And that's actually a lie. Um, so, again, you know, you guys are on this. ADF is on this all the time. Tell me, because our people don't, and I'm, I'm a Church Alliance member. So just right. so you know, uh, full disclosure, uh, and I think it's great. How does ADF help protect the church? Because in some ways, I think your job and my job are very similar we're not we're we're not the politicizing the gospel. We're not an evangelism organization. We are a protect the church organization. And I, I say it this way in football terms. You know, when I used to be an evangelist, I was I was teaching people how to be wide receivers and running backs and quarterbacks so we could score the touchdown of sharing the gospel. Well, now I'm the offensive line coach. <laughs> My job is to block properly, make sure things are blocked so that the church has its job. Um Tell us how ADF blocks for us so that we can be free to speak the good news. So I love that analogy, Greg. Yeah. Um, first of all, I really appreciate what you said. These aren't political issues. They truly are biblical issues. Right. And so the Church Alliance was formed back in 2017 so that churches and ministries can really proactively protect their religious freedom. So it's real simple. Uh, there's four key benefits to membership. One, which is probably the most important and the most proactive thing that churches and ministries can do, and that's our document review process. Okay. And so our attorneys will review all of a church's governing documents, their bylaws, their handbooks, then consult with them to ensure that they have the highest religious liberty protections in place. You know, bottom line is if you ever face a religious liberty threat, those core documents become court documents. And so that's why this is so important. The second thing is you, when you face a situation, you can call in and talk with one of our attorneys. We wanna make sure that you understand what your rights are and what they're not before you take action. Um, if it's outside of religious liberty, we do have an allied attorney network that we can refer you to. That's over 3,500 attorneys across the US. Okay. Uh, the third benefit is just our membership portal where there's numerous resources in there. As an example, if the media shows up at your front door, uh, we've got a media training in there. Uh, all of these sample documents are in there and then we break down every case. And then the fourth and final is legal representation when mm -hmm. necessary and appropriate all the way to the Supreme Court. And so we want churches to feel or pastors to feel empowered so that they can preach these issues from the pulpit and then really in turn empower their congregations. And folks, first of all, and think about all those protections again, which basically all it's doing, what ADF is doing is they're, they're keeping the government in its proper place so that you can be the church. And by the way, the church has always been the moral voice in any and every culture. When we're doing our job and speaking God's moral voice, as well as his gospel voice, we are blessing the culture in which we live. And we've been given really great freedoms to do that in America. We need to take those very, very seriously. Uh, I think what you just said, um, and we'll get to this as every ch church at risk kind of thing. When you talk about uh, making sure that you have the highest religious liberty uh, protections in place, 
what I've seen, and, and I hate to say this, the people that we're up against, and I call them secular statists. These are not left-wing people versus right-wing people. These are people who believe the church is a nefarious organization and the state should replace everything. And they're on the hill now, okay? They're out there. Um, they actually look, I think they target what they think is weak. So if they think a church is unprotected, they'll target those kind of churches or those kind of businesses because that way they can maybe get a foundational case that they win that then will affect all of us. Uh, and what we're finding out is everybody needs to have a certain basic level of protection because that that begins to then um, it, it challenge their ability to actually even execute their plan. So I love what you guys do at ADF. I love the kind of wisdom that you do. It's what we call God's preserving work wisdom. It's not about his saving work. It's about blocking nefarious nonsense so that we can actually be free to do that. All right. Well, I, maybe I answered my question, but I hope not. Is every church at risk? I mean, you know, because there are some people saying, oh, our church is so small. We're, you know, we don't have that many things. We don't. In, uh, but in some sense, you shouldn't think that way for, because every voice of the church matters. I don't care how small or how big you are. But is every church at risk? And why do you think everyone should um, should make use of this good uh, resource? You know, one of the best examples I can give you that as far as small versus large is I think most people are familiar with Jack Phillips. And right. that case, the Colorado Baker uh, started in 2016. Well, believe it or not, he has continued to face litigation. And if you were to go to his shop, it's a small shop in a strip mall. Like you would never think that he would be facing what he's facing. And so I think that highlights that it doesn't really matter the size of a church, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, we like to use this scripture in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, right? If one member suffers, then all suffer together. And if one member is honored, then all rejoice together. Right. So in law, there's this thing called legal precedence. And so that's what we want to be able to accomplish. So when we can take a case all the way to the Supreme Court and we get a good ruling, then that establishes legal precedent. And that's where the smallest church on the map can affect all the churches nationwide. So every church matters and every church is at risk. In, you know, again, Lutherans who are listening in uh, to this program, and, and it, this this wisdom's for everybody. But I'm just saying to to uh, those of our congregation, two of the fundamental cases, two of the present the, the the cases that set precedent, Hosanna Tabor in Michigan, that set the religious exemption uh, foundational case to protect your ability to hire and fire people uh, who are on, in line with our teaching. And then also Trinity in Missouri. Those are foundational cases went all the way to the Supreme Court. And Hosanna Tabor was a tiny little place. I interviewed the I interviewed the uh, uh, principal uh, who was throughout that case, and she said even years after we won, uh, I was walking in a daze because it was just so overwhelming. Well, it's the kind of resources that you know, groups like ADF bring to these things that allow uh, people like Hosanna Tabor and churches like Hosanna Tabor not to walk alone into this, this abyss, if you will. And it was a scary thing to be, she said, to be uh, basically, you're the case before the Supreme Court. What if we lose? She said, you know, what if we lost? Um, so again, you're right. Every church. And I also want to just chime in on that with Jack Phillips. Um, folks, I've met Jack Phillips. And in fact, I met him at an ADF event with you guys, right? Yeah. But I've been to his store and all that. I think he was targeted because they thought he would roll over. 
I really wow. believe that. I think, and then this here's this little guy, and basically most loving guy. Right. He'll sell you anything. He's not going to discriminate. But he, if someone says, "Well, make a a penis cake or something like," he's no, I'm not going to do that. Or make a swastika cake. I'm not going to do that. Uh, or make a cake for our gay wedding. Well, I, I, that's against my conscience. But God bless you guys. You know, that's who Jack Phillips is. And like you said, he's been litigated, even though he keeps winning, but it's, it's destroying, they're trying to destroy his life, right? Let me, let me share one thing real quick where your listeners Mm -hmm. can be praying for. So we have another case in Colorado, 303 Creative, Lori Smith, she makes custom wedding websites. Here's the the key thing about this case, right? So she believes marriage between a man and a woman, anybody can have their beliefs, but she also wants to. Uh, be able to live out of her conscience. Well, in this ruling, basically uh, what the ninth circuit or the 10th circuit said to her is that as an expression increases in uniqueness, right? So these are, these are custom wedding websites, then first amendment rights decrease. And that's why we have to stand for truth in this country. And that case is going to come before the Supreme Court this fall. And so that is something people can be praying for, because whatever the ruling is for her, that's also going to affect Jack Phillips. And to set more precedent. Hey, folks, again, when you talk about these issues, remember, even with the the, uh, Obergefell case, uh, the the homeless the gay wedding case, if you will. Here's our here's what our argument was before the Supreme Court. Um, the state does not grant rights to anybody. It undergirds rights you already have. So why would the state uh, force men and women to sign a contract called marriage? So the whole case was about what's the state's involvement in marriage, right? Why would they force them limit their rights, take rights away, and make them sign a contract called marriage? Here's the simple answer: It's because they're the only a couple that can go to sleep tonight and wake up with a new citizen tomorrow. And the state doesn't want to raise citizens. That's it. And our argument was if they can't, if the state cannot limit its nefarious activity to a man and a woman, it should get out of the whole marriage business. Mm -hmm. And by the way, there are even gay activists who agree with that. Okay. So again, to see the state now using marriage as a club to destroy people's lives. That should be, that should make everyone angry in our culture uh, today. So and, well, I guess we get back to culture because this is the kind of thing when you see someone like a Baron Stutzman, who is just this wonderful grandmother being bankrupted again by the state because she believes in marriage and she, and she was actually a loving, caring person who was adored by everyone in her community, yeah. including the people who asked, you know, the, the gay couple who asked uh, her to do their wedding. It just it's shocking to me that people of goodwill of all uh, beliefs don't think this is state encroachment where it doesn't belong. So how do we continue to deal with this? I, I know you, you say, how do we change the culture? Um, but how do we also uh, erect barriers that protect the church and protect citizens of goodwill? I mean, maybe that's where we start. I think that's um, that it probably is the question. This really is about the future of freedom in our country. Mm-hmm. You know, religious liberty, religious freedom protects all. Um, we have five generational wins 
that we're standing for, right? And a generational win. Yeah, explain what a generational win is because it is a big deal. And it I is. think we even had another good case come down today about the main case. I think we won okay. six to three, but Carson what is a generational win? Okay, a generational win changes law and culture. So a great example of this is homeschooling. 25 years ago, homeschooling wasn't thought of as a viable option and it wasn't legal in every state. Now look at it today, right? right. Legal in every state and a viable option. So we a generational win changes law and culture. So there are five generational wins that we're standing for. And so that's uh, safeguarding life, right? Mm -hmm. So this, this decision that's going to come down about Roe, we, everybody knows about that case, but that's huge. Uh, right. Defending religious liberty, right? Securing free speech. One of the things that is so important, you mentioned protecting marriage and family. Right. And then last is guaranteeing parental rights. Parents have the right to direct the education of their children. Correct. Yeah, and that's what we're standing for. And like you said, when we when we put down those markers in society, um, good things happen for everybody. This right. isn't just doing it so that the church is protected. This is these are the kind of things. And folks, you can argue this: uh, strong families are good for society. Strong right. uh, parental choice and education is great. I mean, black, uh, Hispanic, white, everybody wants it. Then why aren't we laying down that marker and giving freedom of choice and education, access to good education for everybody? Uh, and ADF is actually saying we're going to lay these markers down legally. Um, so is it going well? <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> well, it's a little challenging. I think in summarizing, right, the most important thing is the gospel still tr transforms. It saves and right. it changes lives. And so the reason that we're doing this is because of the, the transformative saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll just uh, close with this thought, too. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't, we're not here ultimately to transform culture. We're here to transform lives. And when right. you transform lives, that transforms neighborhoods, transforms families, neighborhoods, and eventually culture one at a time. Right. We get that. Um, but again, folks, in, in concerning these cultural issues, whether we win the culture war or lose the culture war, I'm not concerned about that. I mean, I'm concerned whether we engage it. That's and good. God is always engaging every culture to preserve the culture so that he can proclaim his salvation of all people. And we understand that that's God at work. And since he's at work, we get to be at work with him. I just want to say, I, I think you guys do a great job. ADF does an incredible job uh, in terms of protecting the public space of the church so it can be a public church for the sake of the gospel. But I think what you're talking about, Sherry, is you want to get churches to start to see that they have a role uh, to be part of that protection work as well. And that's what your church alliance is all about. So I just want to give you that that final plug about that. That's a really big thing too, isn't well said. it? Absolutely. Well said, Greg. Okay. Well, and, and that's that's kind of the point with all of these things, folks. Um, ADF was started to do that, but I, let me just close with a thought like this. The Lutheran Church, uh, our first speaker on the Lutheran Hour uh, back in the day, in the 1940s, when, when we were like the number one program on radio, and that was before TV, they tried to kick the Lutheran Hour off the air. And, and so there's always been these nefarious movements to actually push the church out of the public square. And I always ask people, well, what should Walter Meyer have done? Should he have said, well, that's the state, that's their job, we should just let them do what they do? No, he fought back and he argued that Jeffersonian freedom principles 
protected him and protected every church and gave us the right to be on the air. And that also then started the National Religious Broadcasters, which is the largest you know, organization, again, protecting the church's voice on radio, TV, internet, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Alliance Defending Freedom is is kind of watching where there's breaches in the wall <laughs> of those protections, exactly. right? And and so coming to that, to coming to four on that. Any again, last last word is yours. Um, I know you're talking to pastors, you're talking to churches. Uh, what what would be the one thing you'd want to share with them before we close? Well, um, one of our attorneys, we had a devotion one time and he shared this analogy of how ADF and the church works together. And I just love it. So I'll close with that. Um, I'm sure everyone's familiar with the Titanic. Well, when it hit the iceberg, right, there was only so much time that the rescue workers or the crew had to get passengers off the ship and into the lifeboats, right? right, right. Well, there were 24 engineers down below and their job was to keep the lights and the communication systems going. So if you think about that right now, the church is going to be doing the work of the rescue, right? Rescuing people with a salvation message and ADF, it's our job to keep the lights on. So that work can go forth. We'll keep the lights on with you. Thank you, Cher, for being with us today. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas, 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org, or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.